Hey, y'all, if you enjoy watching your podcast, which seems kind of weird, watching your podcast, but some people really enjoy that. So we have a YouTube channel. You can find it at Heather Parody, P-A-R-A-D-Y. It's also linked up in the show notes. You can hit subscribe. And several of these interviews are actually in person. So you can watch that. Again, that is at Heather Parody on YouTube. The Alter Ego Effect. This is a super popular book from a few years ago that I read and just ate up. It's this idea that we can create an alter ego that we can pull in to help us become the greatest version of ourselves. The book was written by this man named Todd Herman. Now Todd is one of the best of the best coaches and experts on high performance, mentoring pro athletes, leaders, and public figures to help them become the best versions of themselves. Now this idea of creating an alter ego that you can step into and operate from a different place sounds sexy to some folks, but some folks are kind of weary of it. Is this an excuse to not be authentic? Maybe ignore some of the places inside of yourself that need to heal? Why do we need an alter ego? Isn't being ourselves enough? I posted a reel on this topic a few months ago and was really surprised at the DMs that I got kind of challenging this idea of the alter ego. Luckily for me, I reached out to Todd Herman and asked him to come on to address some of these folks' concerns. So after listening to this conversation, you decide, is having an alter ego inauthentic? Or does it tap into something inside of you you didn't know was there? Unnormalized results are doing. Yep. They're not doing what everyone else is thinking that they're doing. Science can only explain so much. I've been on the field. And there is an element of art to this stuff that is just unexplainable. I don't want to call it magic, but sometimes I will. There's just something that's there and it's creating something just wholly different. Is there ever an instance where this could actually block the healing process? Is this ever a Band-Aid approach? Herman. So what happened was, y'all, what happened is your girl posted a reel, not thinking that's how it does. You just post stuff on the internet and you think it's fine. You roll on through your day. Don't do that. You got to check your DMs, check your comments because some people got flustered, Todd Herman, about some things that was in that reel and you were a part of it and unwillingly. I, you didn't know you were a part of it, but you were. It, the topic was authenticity and how it sounds super noble to say, be authentic, Heather. Show up as yourself. That's what the world needs. And there's a lot of folks coming out saying that the world doesn't need more authentic people. They need people with the best version of themselves. And you were one of the first folks that I read their book and it talked about this topic, kind of challenging authenticity and what is authentic. And there's different levels and versions of you in your book, Alter Ego. And I've kind of come comfortable with that concept that, you know, Authenticity may be a trap, as Seth Godin says. But when I posted that reel, I was still taken aback, Todd, how many folks had some pushback. Nobody hateful, but just like, Heather, come on, girl. You're you're like the inner work healing in your feels kind of girl. What are you talking about? What do you mean by this? So luckily for me, I reached out to Todd Herman here, who's generous enough and kind enough to spend some time with this Southern girl poking at him and asking him questions about his work. But uh, Todd... I'm going to ask you some real kind of basic questions to get everybody caught up on this topic of alter ego, and then we'll dive in a little bit deeper. But first of all, your book rocks. I love it. I had so many notes in it. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join us. Well, I'm excited to be here. And you hooked me when you pinged me on Instagram and said, hey, I did this reel on authenticity and I uh, got a little pushback. And it's a topic that I like to basically challenge or ruffle the feathers of a lot of people around maybe their relationship with the word and those words that kind of wrap around it. Good. 
And I told you I'm working on pushing back myself and bringing that side of me out a little bit more. So this yeah. is going to be a Heather practice round and Todd said he's game for it. But first of all, alter ego in general, Eve, she commented and said that the word ego, she had a little bit of trouble. Why call it an alter ego? I guess I'm hung up on this word ego because Todd, we've been taught that ego is a bad thing. Yeah, that ego is the enemy. And, and the reality is if you have a really healthy ego, then the, the healthy ego is in typically service to the, the capabilities and the traits that really sort of sit as an ocean of cap possibility within all of us. And an unhealthy ego, again, so they say ego is the enemy. And, you know, you know, Ryan Holiday wrote that book and they talk about it a little bit in stoicism as well. But as you and I were talking about in a preamble before we got on this is, I think people need to be a lot more disciplined on who it is that they let into the six inches between their ears oh boy. or the 12 inches behind their rib cage, you know, the heart and the mind part of how they operate. Because there's a lot of people who produce content or write books or preach from a stage or speak from a stage who don't actually do the work. They're not practitioners, okay? And that's really important because I have over 19,000 hours of one-on-one -on -one coaching time. That's just one-on-one. -on -one. I started in mm -hmm. 1997 before coaching was an industry. Young. My little fledgling mental game coaching business. And then, you know, sort of stair-stepped and got to the level where I was working with the greatest athletes on the planet. And then mm -hmm. that translated into people in entertainment, public figures, even politics, and then entrepreneurs and CEOs. And the reality is that a lot of the things that people have done in order to reach their you know, zenith, reach their mountaintop, runs very counter to what you see in a lot of self-help and personal development books. So going back to kind of what you were saying about the, the ego having a bad relationship in many people's minds, we, we can't get away from the fact that we have an ego. I've sat and watched the Dalai Lama three times, living in New York City, hmm. quite a bit. And so, you know, being able to be in his presence, he's one of only a few people that I've ever experienced that when the person walked in the room, like it felt different in the room, like the energetic form of the room was transformed because he came into it, you know, wow. and that would be a great pursuit. I'd love to be able to get to that level as well. But he talked about his his challenges with ego, his challenges with dogma, his challenges with kind of really challenging ideas of what he thought certain words meant or scripture meant and so on. So ego isn't only bad. And the reason that we can say that, this is just, this is a great rule of thumb that you can use in your life. The reason that ego can't only be bad is because nature tells us that it can't be bad. What do you mean? Something always has to have goodness and badness in it. So hyper and hypo. So if you have a hyper ego, that means you're acting way too much through your ego. If you're hypo ego, so hypo is less, that means that you have completely diminished your ego. And sometimes I've found in the work that person has a hard time taking action because they have no sense of really who and what they are. They've sort of buried themselves in this pool of oneness in the world, mm. um, which sounds beautiful, but it can get to the level of complete inaction. So water is a good example. Is water only good? No, no. Because when you're floating in the middle of the ocean in a dinghy, the last thing you want is another wave to hit you. Or if you drink three gallons of water in an hour, sorry, but you're going to die from hyperhidrosis. So ego can't only be that. And so getting to the alter ego, 
Okay. The alter ego in its form was first given to us by Cicero in 44 BC, widely regarded as the greatest Roman statesman and philosopher. So he wasn't just a philosopher. He was an active participant in public discourse, right? An elected mm -hmm. official. So he's out there on the field every day, pushing through laws and things like that. And in a letter to a friend, when they asked him, when this person asked him, hey, this is in 44 BC, he was assassinated from 42 BC. You know, can you give me some advice? Can you give me some tips on like, you've had this incredibly successful life. And in that letter to a friend, he talked about the alter ego, which was his form and use of bringing himself up to another level. And the way that he described the alter ego is it's the other I or trusted friend within. And we all know mm -hmm. the importance of having great mentors and friends and peers, but a lot of people don't think about it between the six inches of their ears, bringing this tribe of friends and mentors between your ears. And so that's sort of the source code of the idea of what an alter ego can be for people. Okay. I want to get back to the other eye, the trusted friend in a minute. I have a question about that, but let me circle back and make sure I understand what you're saying. You're saying anything that shows up in nature can neither be good or bad. That's right. I'm saying anything. Like any idea can't only be good. What about like emotions? Emotions can end up r ruling you, right? Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, if I'm hyper emotional, now I'm losing real solid control over the frontal lobe area of the brain. This is where reasoning and judgment and critical thinking sits. And if I'm only ruled by emotion, I'm going to be someone who is extremely unpredictable. Emotions are very much drawn upon for most people what's happening in their environment because we as human beings we are what are called open loop systems so a closed loop system is a snake or a spider and when two snakes meet each other this snake and this snake don't feed off of the energetic nature of that other snake it doesn't change their state we as human beings, we meet someone who's like so kind and lovely. They open the door and they have a beautiful smile on their face or, you know, we, we give grandma a hug and that we, we're open loop. We, we gain energy off of each other. And so, you know, going back to what you're saying, like emotion, we, we feed off of the emotions of the environment around us. So if we're only ruled by emotions, right? that's too, that's not good. And then if we're not, if we don't index towards emotions, there've been many studies that have been done on when there is a break between the emotional center in our brain and decision, it actually, we need emotion to make decisions as human beings. With no emotion or feeling, we can't make decisions. And a lot of studies have been done with people with uh, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's on that breakage that might happen. I guess I was thinking more along lines of specific things like hatred, murder, some of these things seem natural. They come up and they've been in our history forever. Are they on a continuum of good and bad? Hmm. I mean, that's a great philosophical question on I know. <laughs> is, is, is murder is murder only bad? I don't know. You weren't ready for this, Todd. You're like, I thought we were talking about authenticity. <laughs> no, I, I can think of a couple of instances where I would be uh, more than happy to possibly take someone out. Now yeah. that might not sound, you know, yeah. spiritually appealing to many people, but uh, you put me in a situation where my kids are in harm way, harm's way, then preach because uh, Papa Bear is coming. And just an interesting me, thought. And that's, and that's yeah. not me like trying to posture for social media. Like, like I said to you before in the preamble, I'm uncancelable. You can't cancel me. And I actually would wish that most people would actually think that way because I am wholly unafraid to both say what I'm going to say, but also apologize for something that I said that I come back to and I've got new information and I will reconcile publicly. I've got, mm. that's actually not acting through ego. 
that's me knowing that I'm constantly evolving and the version right. of me in 2022, I hope is different than the version of me in 2024. Right? Amen. So to, to ground your humanness and story into this a little bit, I mean, this conviction that you speak of right now, I've heard you say that when you were a young man, you kind of came upon this idea of the alter ego because you were so young and you found yourself in rooms that you didn't feel like you necessarily belonged and you had a voice and you really was a practitioner of what you're talking about here today before. So you're not just, you know, spouting off. This was your reality. This was your story. 100%. Because the alter ego is really born out of the creative imagination. You know, human beings, we're trying to pursue whatever lives we're trying to pursue. Some people choosing more challenging things than others, but it's typically relative anyway. Like, you know, my challenge, I don't know if it's any bigger or any less than someone else's because it's just relative right. to, you know, how we're built in that moment. So when this is our great superpower is our creative imagination. That's really what I kind of bring the idea of the alter ego down into to kind of nest mm -hmm. inside of is that that's really the human being's great superpower is our ability to use our creative capabilities to reimagine ourselves, reimagine a new world, reimagine how a product might work, reimagine the way that I'm going to show up on social media with you know, better produced reels like Heather is doing or something like that. Like mm -hmm. we can use that and we can take the inspiration from any place to become more of what we already are. And it's that kind of sentence that helps to now form what could be an alter ego because an alter ego is typically drawing on the source of inspiration from someone or something else so that right. I can become more of what I would like to become or to do more because maybe right now you've got resistance to go out and make sales calls or to post content on social media, even though you're a therapist that has many thousands of hours sitting with human beings that are struggling with some sort of you know, trauma or difficulty or PTSD. And we need more of those people producing content, not the people who are just regurgitating ideas from books. Mm -hmm. So if anything, if from this particular interview, if it inspired just one more therapist or psychologist that actually works with people to get more nuanced content out into the world, well, then that's a great win because that makes right. the place. Right. You you mentioned earlier that the origin of alter ego was the other eye, the trusted friend. And I wrote a little note there. It says, that sounds kind of woo. So my question here is I put spiritual or behavioral question mark. And I think I might know your answer to this, but some folks think, man, that sounds like kind of, you've mentioned energy earlier with the Dalai Lama and the creative imagination. I mean, there seems like there's an element of spirit energy, however you want to define that, but it's also grounded in behavioral science as well. Well, behavioral science, kinesiology, biology, chemistry in the body. So, you know, when I was building the peak athlete, I had a run in very early on with a, um, head of psychology at a major university who called me. I was less than a year into my little fledgling mental game coaching business. I never called myself a sports psychologist. I never called myself an identity of something that I didn't have. And the person called me because I was doing a lot of speeches in the province that I was in, Alberta at the time. And I was building up a name for myself and they were basically calling me a fraud you know, saying that, you know, you can't do this. Why are you going out there and advertising yourself as a, as a psychologist? Cause you're not a psychologist. You don't have a degree in it and all like just going off. Right. And my response back was, Oh, the only reason you're saying this is because nobody knows who you are. <laughs> God, I, was... 
Oh yeah. Like, I mean, I've had no problems. It's, it's something that's just inherent in my nature. And I get this from my mom more than anything of, of really punching back. And because I was in football locker rooms and around sport, you know, I always like to engage in some trash talk. So I have that capability. So I wasn't going to let that person sort of dim whatever light I was trying to share out there. And so you talk about, you know, a very popular term nowadays, imposter syndrome. That was never a term that was even used, you know, back in the nineties and even early two thousands. I mean, that's an actual fear that people have is someone calling them out. Someone actually called me, right. call me out. And I pushed right. back and said, no, it's just because you're not out there doing the work. I'm doing the work. And I don't call myself a psychologist. I call myself a mental game coach for people. Mm. And mental game and performance coaching is about advancing someone forward. I'm wholly unqualified to be a therapist. Yes, I know cognitive behavioral therapy. Yes, I know family systems therapy. Yes, I know acceptance and commitment therapy because all of those therapies and uh, modalities have very useful tools inside of them that I can use in the work that I do. But if I'm poking around between the six inches of your ears, Heather, and I find something that's a real like trauma, mm-hmm. or a, you know, post-traumatic stress or something, sure. I'm not going to try and treat that. That's why I have a stable of five to seven phenomenal therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists around the world with different specializations that I funnel clientele over to. Mm-hmm. But my clientele doesn't have the opportunity to go and put themselves on the sidelines and wait until something is better before right. they can come back out. Like that's that's a very slow path path for anybody to try to be successful in life. We just don't have that we got to continue to earn. We've got families to support. Anyway, so I pushed back and it was, you know, I, was, I was so grateful for the chance to, for that person to call me early on to challenge me because it really settled me into my pursuit. But my point is, is I indexed way more away from psychology and way more towards science. And I was talking with Andrew Huberman about this because we were talking about possibly me coming on his show. And I said, the one thing that you've got to realize as a researcher is science can only explain so much. I've been on the field and there is an element of art to this stuff that is just unexplainable. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to, I don't want to call it magic, but sometimes I will. There's just something that's there that some sort of, you know, concoction of different chemicals is coming together within that human being. And it's creating something just wholly different. And I can't Mm -hmm. explain it. There isn't, that's why even in the book, like I try to put in as much research to, to back up certain things, but the alter ego side of things is such a part of the creative experience of the human being that to be able to study it would be a very difficult task. Yeah. And I think that's where the fear comes in because it is intangible. It starts kind of touching parts inside of ourselves that feel uncomfortable and the resistance comes in. I had a a good friend who I highly respect who works in the industry with a lot of heavy hitters, big names and stuff. And when I posted that reel, he sent me some messages and said his experience has been that when folks try to alter into something else to overcome the hell they've been through in their past or overcompensate or whatever, 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 that years go down the road and they end up losing themselves, hating themselves and creating a life of success, but they've lost who they were. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious your response to that because there seems that there could be a point where I lose myself in some alter alter ego, alter identity of who I could be Mm -hmm. and then forget the groundedness of who I am. Yeah. So, I mean, going back to what I was saying at the very beginning about how nature is really the great kind of, you know, teacher of whether something can be true or not. Well, I apply it to myself as well. So 
can alter egos be bad? A hundred percent, they could be bad, right? And I've seen people be consumed by an identity that they believe to be true, not even just an alter ego, their own identity, the story that they've been telling themselves about who they are, where they come from. That's why in the book, I talk about the ordinary world and the extraordinary world, the trapped self, the Mm. heroic self. And then the method that I unpack from basically chapter four on is about handing people the steering wheel of their identity so that it takes them in the direction that they want to go. So they're not trapped by it. You know, when your motivations are from an outside in perspective, trying to appease other people, trying to get other people to like you, trying to fit in and that will trap you. And the reason that we use that word trapped, because it's the most common term that people would use when they're talking to me about why they want to, whether it's work with me or buy a program or come to a workshop or whatever the case is, or even just unpacking their experience. You know, I feel like I'm trapped inside of my business or I feel trapped Mm. inside of, you know, to use the example of social media, I feel like I'm trapped inside of my, you know, profile. That's not really kind of who I am or what I want to, you know, serve or deliver to other people. But when we move towards you're doing this because it's what you really want to bring into the world, whether it's the traits that you want to bring. So whether it's um, uh, kindness or being challenging to, you know, the industry that you're in. Like I'm a challenger, like I'm a hundred percent a challenger in my industry. I pull no punches whatsoever. Even on a recent, like really big podcast, they, they, when I got to the interviewing place and they said, this is gonna be a fun interview because you're not afraid to throw punches at other people. And I said, no, I throw punches at really bad ideas, but if someone's face happens to get in the way because they're the ones saying the idea, well, that's on them. That's not on me. And we're the opposite people, Todd, (laughs) like you and I are like, no, it's cool, man. I wish I was more like that. Anyway, I actually sort of lost the question that you had had there but i was i was the the, the idea that this 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 oh, so yeah. you know dm that i got they he said he said heather i've walked with folks who are very successful and they're some of the most depressed people that i know and he attributed a lot of that to this i mean alter ego isn't necessarily the word that he used but this identity that i'm gonna have to be like I'm a badass, I'm a this, I'm a that, whenever you don't feel it. And that gets you so far, it gets you in rooms and helps you whatever. But at the end of the day, you're depressed and broken. That's what he he was sharing with me. That's what I would call a false positive. A false positive, okay. positive. We love to throw stones and rocks at people that are higher up on the mountaintop than us. So he says, I've worked with some really big names. Mm Mm-hmm. And some of them have built an identity or a word for themselves that they get 10 years down the road and they feel trapped by it or they feel sure. like it's not. Mm-hmm. Well, conversely, I've also talked to a lot of people who are sitting in the middle average of life who feel the exact same way. I've also spoken to people who are at the very bottom part of life. Again, mm-hmm. I've lived in seven countries around the world. Indonesia built out a leadership program from them. South Africa lived in Cape Town and built out the um, leadership program for them underneath Nelson Mandela's mandate of equalization of the workforce, which means that no white person in government can be promoted. Only black people can get promoted. So now black people are getting promoted over top of white people that used to be their boss and they felt wholly insecure. They lacked confidence. And so I came in to help them. You know, which was strange to me when Mantuka, who was the head of human capital in South Africa, hired this white farm kid from, you know, Canada. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm really the right guy for this. And she sat mm-hmm. me down and said, no, when I saw you talk, because she saw me uh, do an event in San Antonio in 2004, you, you're the right guy. My point, though, is 
that's the human experience. <laughs> people being trapped by certain ways that they're behaving. It is not just about people who are pursuing something that, uh, that, mm -hmm. is, that is just false because it's true amongst all sections of society. People are living through identities that they do not like. They are showing up as Clark Kent's when they're actually Superman's. Like in the book, one of the things that I know is the most shared thing and what's because I can look at the Kindle data, what's the most highlighted part of my book. One of them is when I share who's the alter ego, Clark Kent or Superman. And everyone thinks it's Superman because think of people think alter ego as in this in the superhero world as the superhero. No, the alter ego is Clark Kent. He built Clark Kent, the mild-mannered, timid, modest version of himself, so that he could fit in in society. And that's my frame to most people. Most people are walking around as Clark Kent's so they can fit in. But really yeah. underneath it all is this deep sea and reservoir of capabilities and traits and attributes that we're just not accessing. And my frame is, and what I've experienced and seen is the alter ego when done right is an amazing way to access this new landscape that you didn't know was even there. And then you get that out onto the field of play of life. And then it closes feedback loops. You're like, oh, wait, I can do that. And now that becomes absorbed into and reconciled inside of this core part of how you see yourself. And then you do more yeah. and you keep on playing with that. And now you're constantly expanding your reach, your capabilities, and that's healthy. Is there ever an instance where this could actually block the healing process? from our own unacceptance of self or love of self, or this is just a band-aid or we're not looking at the core wounds, the real issue of why I hate myself, why I don't speak up in public, why I don't X, Y, Z. Is this ever a band-aid approach? It's just like anything. It could be, Heather. Mm. But as someone, so I was involved in the largest study on the effects of MDMA and PTSD at Bellevue Hospital with NYU and the MAPS Institute. So um, I don't know if you're familiar okay. MAPS Institute. So they have been studying the effects of psychedelics on yes. PTSD and trauma, right? So I yes. was in the study at Bellevue. You were in the study. I'm in the study. Yeah, I'm actually oh, one of wow. the very few people who allowed the recording of my sessions in the actual study. That's so people wow. who go and pursue MAPS would actually see my face and watch me go through my therapeutic sessions, okay? I was also involved in the study on the effects of psilocybin and PTSD. So I don't know uh, that one. So, psilocybin. So the, the one of the largest studies that uh, has been done on the effects of psilocybin and addiction, like smoking cessation, alcoholism, got um, it, got and it, and depression. Okay. UPenn was done in 2018 and 19. So I was in that one as well. Just happened to have some really good contacts. And I was in both of those studies and absolutely transformative uh, when it comes to the stuff that happened to me when I was a 12 year old boy. Mm -hmm. So, and I'm very open about it. Like I was um, sexually abused and raped at a church camp when I was 12 years yeah. old by a couple of men over a couple of days, basically held captive over that time. Also, the reoccurring trauma of it is that it was videotaped and it's one of the most popular videos inside of the pedophilia community even today. I yeah. get trolled weekly with GIFs of you know seeing myself as a 12-year-old in my inbox, okay? But that MDMA helped to access healing for me in the body that mm. traditional therapy and, and other things just couldn't do, okay? And I'm, not, and I'm the first person to say, listen, there's no magic pill out there, right? Sure. You know, 
Sure. What, what really needs to happen is there needs to be a deep conviction and desire within you to go and, you know, resolve something that is in your past. Yeah. I think some people love to play through victim consciousness. They love to play the victim and they play the role of actively acting like they're healing themselves, but they're really not. My reason why is just super deep within me. And that is I refuse to give secondhand trauma onto my kids. Yeah, I, I refuse to do that. So yeah. I'm going to get better. Having said all that though, here's what I know, man, there is a massive yarn ball inside of our minds. And the, and it is, I think, very egotistical of us to think that if I pull on this one right here, it's going to solve it, right? Like mm. there's so much sitting beneath our unconscious that we don't know where all the connections are and where they're going. And I had a very profound experience during one of my sessions where this presence within me came and sat inside of my mind with me and said, you can stop looking now. There's nothing more you in your stop past. Looking? You can stop looking. There's nothing more in your past that you need to go and try and untangle that you think is going to help your make your life any better. Wow. And so I think we just need to be very careful with treatment and past stuff about falling too deep down a rabbit hole. Because when, when, when if you're searching for anything, you're going to find it. I mean, that's what that's what we discover. Like if you yeah. keep on digging, you're going to find something. And then if you add us, and because we're storytelling and meaning making machines, we could end up attaching a meaning to something that was completely innocuous. It was nothing. But because we're maybe not pursuing something that we want in our life, we say, aha, that's the anchor right there. Mm. So let's talk about that more for the next four months and just continue to, continue to expand it out. And again, mm. I'm just, I'm asking that question as well. I was like, I don't know whether that's the real way that we should go about it. I think it's silly that people come on podcasts and other things and act like they know all the answers to life. I don't. I am world-class at peak performance. I am the world's leading expert on alter egos and utilizing your creative imagination to help you discover more of what you're capable of. No one's done more hours and built more alter egos around the world than me. And I know mm -hmm. them very well and done them in a very healthy way for people to help them transform their performance in whatever field of play, not just in sports or, you know, entertainment, but also, you know, to help them finally get back into an exercise routine or even get into an exercise routine and see themselves as an athlete or be a better parent. Damn. Dawn, she asked what the ultimate goal for any top achiever who's using this strategy is it to recognize that at the core, we are both the identities or learn how to move through the world accessing the right one at the right time? The pursuit is to discover more of what we're capable of and or be more playful with- Playful. Playful, 100%. I mean, it's out of the four, or, or, sorry, out of the five core principles that drive the success of alter egos, an attitude of playfulness is the thing that makes it work so well. That, that seems weird because when you see like top performance and athletes and high achievers and stuff, the word playful doesn't come to mind with that, but that's something you lean into. But that's why I, I mean, you've heard me say it, Heather, or if anyone has ever heard me talk, the, I, I constantly say the field of play, the field of play, the field of play. And, and people, when they hear me keynote and there's Q&A after they say like, you say the field of play, I get the idea, but why do you say the field of play? And I'm like, because I'm always trying to orientate someone to the field of whatever it is that they're supposed to be showing up and performing and winning on. So for example, the field of my family where I've got, you know, three little kids running around, that's a field for me. And the person who mm. goes out there is dad. Mm. And so it orientates my, my mind into a role 
And then I think in myself, okay, well, what are the traits that I want to bring in that role to my kids? Would they be the same as when I'm orientating myself to my coaching field? Because in the coaching field, I'm challenging people because I've got typically very successful human beings that have large egos that I do need to break through the hard exterior of a protective coding that's there because they need it. Because so many people want stuff from them and I don't. That's why I sign NDAs with my clients. I sign it saying I'm not going to share who, who I'm working with unless you go and share my name publicly. That would be the only way mm -hmm. that that NDA is ever broken. That's why I can talk about Kobe or Cristiano or Rafael Nadal because they've said my name publicly. But the field of play then is to remind ourselves that really when you're going into the zone and the flow state, which we talk about, that mm -hmm. zone and flow state, I found that the final golden key that unlocks it is an attitude of playfulness. Because now let's go to the science of it and explain it then, Heather. Okay. From the ages of six months to about seven and a half, eight years of age, that is the most formative. Those are the most formative years of development for human beings. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. need to learn so much about how the world works around us socially, you know, ourselves, how to walk and run and feed ourselves and communicate and say the words that like, how do I say what I actually feel? That's the frustration of a young kid is they have it in their head, but they don't have the vocabulary yet to express it. As a mm -hmm. parent, I understand that I can be more patient and I can ask more questions so that my little guy, Charlie can finally, okay, dad gets what I'm trying to say. That's why their emotions are all over the place because it's this bottling of energy that can't be expressed in a way that this adult person can understand. Point being, when put inside of and analyzed underneath brainwave technology, a six-month to seven-and-a-half-year-old child is caught in what's the theta brainwave state. Okay, so there's beta, mm -hmm. alpha, theta. Beta is just waking mind. It's the judging, right. it's the, like reasoning, it's critical thinking. Alpha is more focusing. So now you're focusing on your work. It'd be probably where you're sitting right now, where I'm sitting right now is alpha. And then theta is highly creative work. It's really where the flow state and the zone state mm. sits. Okay. Well, children in that age group are in theta most of the time. Why? Oh, God, theta that's brainwave cool. state is the sponge. It just soaks in tons of information. Well, that also mm -hmm. explains why when someone says they're in the flow state or the zone state, they say, oh, it was like everything, the entire world slowed down around me. I couldn't hear any other distractions. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're a parent, you know that you've called to your child at least 19 times to come to dinner and you think that they're ignoring you. No, most of them are just in theta and they're so engrossed in the activity that they're doing. Well, what else are they doing? That's the most playful times of our entire life. So playfulness and theta sort of work together in this harmony. Going back to alter egos, even though we've talked about trauma and things, and, and that's some of the reasons why people will choose an alter ego, it's because they feel very stuck in the current identity that they might have, and yet they want to go and pursue something else. Mm -hmm. The other accessing point for why people choose alter egos is because they just want to have more fun. They want to be more playful with it, with, them, with themselves. And when you have that final attitude of playfulness with the way that you approach reels, or your business, or being a parent, whew, does that ever de-stress the system? Because, wow. because the sourcing code of the purpose of why I'm doing the action is coming from a far more deeply resonant place. Hmm. And playfulness is less about the expectation of the outcome and far more about the process. So that's why I talk about playfulness. And I mean, at the end of the day, like if I am 
acting through. So one of my alter egos would be super Richard, right? I share it with everyone else because I'm the purveyor of alter egos, right? Reality is alter egos are typically kept very quiet. Even when I right. built the, the Black Mamba with Kobe in 2003, that was never shared publicly until 2008. He was living through and acting through the, the Black Mamba for five plus years before it was ever exposed to the public. Intentionally. Intentionally. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because it's your own secret playbook for how you're you know, approaching your worldview or your actions that you're taking. Let me Let me ask about the theta state. Are you saying that I could create an alter ego that places me in that state? That's a way to get to that state? It's a way to get to that state. Exactly. Yes. Interesting. So what would I do? Just pick up a creative person who I really admire, who's always in flow and, you know, you don't, you don't have to be that, you don't have to be that, sorry to cut you off, Heather, but you don't have to be that explicit with like someone who's always in flow. It's someone that you're deeply resonant with, someone that inspires you. And already even that word inspire starts to lift. Like if we use that word inspire over and over again, because language creates our world, right? That's how we, but in the word inspire is uplifting. So mm. already I'm using better language to help map to an emotional state within myself by you choosing to live more creatively, using your creative imagination. It is the ultimate sword that beats resistance. People can talk about willpower all they want, but our, again, going back to the superpower that I think human beings have is our creative imagination. And that creative imagination Amen. is the ultimate sword that slays resistance. So how do you bring folks into that state? You tell them to think about who they're inspired by. Is that the only tactic the or what else do you do? Yeah. So what are the traits that you're borrowing from your sources of inspiration? Maybe a useful way to go to, to do it for people is I'll explain the alter ego that I used when I played sports. and. You know, I went on and played college football. I was a nationally ranked badminton player and had big hopes of playing in the NFL and being in the Hall of Fame, but I wasn't, I wasn't that good. In high school, I was a scrawny kid. Like I was uh, six feet tall, but I was 159 pounds and you kind of need some yeah. mass on you if you want to be yeah. playing football, or at least that's the story that I was telling myself. So here I have this desire, but I have this sort of fundamental need of wanting to be bigger and Thankfully, I stayed connected to my creative imagination and I had my two heroes in football were Walter Payton and Ronnie Lott. And then I have where I come from in Alberta, Canada, my, our family's farm and ranch. It's kind of rich in Native American history. And so as a kid, I used to ride around on my horse Cracker Jack and looking for like old fire rings and things like that. And I would dig up and look for arrowheads and stuff. So I had this tribe of not five Native American warriors led by Geronimo as sources of inspiration. So I'll kind of walk through my process for how I would get into that alter ego. So I would be sitting on in the locker room and I had five trading cards, three of Walter Payton and two of Ronnie Lott, who is, they're both like Hall of Fame football players. Yeah. And I would take one of Walter's and I'd put it into my helmet because I wanted to think like him and see the field like he did because he was just an amazing running back. And then I took his other two, I two more of Walter Payton. I put them in my thigh pads in my pants because I wanted to run like him. I wanted to be powerful like him. And then the two trading cards that were left were of Ronnie Lott. And I put one in my left shoulder pad and one in my right shoulder pad because I wanted to hit like him. And all of that is I'm doing that and I'm sort of just really focusing on the energy of each of those players. And then I'd close my eyes and I would 
go into this mental movie theater in my mind. And at the other end of the movie theater were these two doors and the two doors opened. And in the one side would walk Ronnie and Walter walking towards me. And then the other side was this tribe of five Native American warriors led by Geronimo. And he was holding the five trading cards. And as they approached, Walter would say to me, we want you to take these cards as a representation of who we are and how we play. And then Mm -hmm. Geronimo would hand them out to me and I would go to grab them. And right when I put my fingers on them, he would pull them back towards him. And that's where Walter would lean in and say, but don't for one second dishonor our memory by not showing up like we would out there. Okay. And I talk about that in the book. Mm-hmm. We as human beings, we're very, we love to honor things. That's the ritualization. That's the storytelling of our minds. Yep. Then Geronimo would release and I would take them. Now my eyes would open and that's when I basically do my whole routine with the uh, trading cards. Okay. So I've got them in my pads. I'm getting dressed and I have put on my helmet. We get on the bus and we go down to the stadium to play. As I'm walking off the bus, I would take my chin strap and before my foot would go down on the steps to get down onto the, the pavement, I would take my chin strap and I would snap it into place. And so going to like visualization, just to explain to people, visualization has gotten a bit of a bad rap in that in the way that it's taught to people, because it's actually not very easy to do. It's a learned skill to be able mm-hmm. to be, even though we all do it every single day, to be able to direct your mind in the direction that you want. That's not easy for most people no. to see themselves do things. Okay. So I'm just mm-hmm. saying that to people to like say, Hey, pump the brakes on the judgment that you can't do visualization. Well, but the other side of it is that we think that it's all about forming mental pictures in our mind. The reality is about 20% of society can't form mental pictures in their mind. They don't have the ability to do it. My wife is a good example. She can't form mental pictures in her mind. But what we can do is sound, smell, and taste are very much, they activate the brain in a different way as well. I say that because we want to try to use really all of our senses when we're putting ourselves into that situation. So going back to the sound, sound is a great triggering device. So when I would snap that in, I'd feel this rush of the five Native American warriors coming into my heart. And because I don't need to invent my connection to the Native American culture. I love it. I study it. Have since I was a little kid, I was connected to it from where I grew up. And that's when Geronimo would take over because that was my nickname for mm-hmm. Rigo was Geronimo. And so you thought you were playing against scrawny number 17 out on the football field, but you weren't. You were coming up against a tribe of eight, me plus Ronnie and Walter and my five Native Americans. And it allowed me to play way bigger. And I didn't get caught into my insecurities of how small I was because I wasn't, that wasn't taught out there. That was Geronimo. And as has been proven multiple times through so many different stories, the human body is really capable of some phenomenal feats when it's highly motivated mm-hmm. to, to do something. A mom lifting a car off of a child that's trapped underneath it, right? Whereas any other day, she can't lift that you know, 2,000 pound machine off of a, you know, anything. But in that moment, based on motivation, So I say all that because the creative imagination is unique. I would also find myself playing in the zone and flow state because I'm so caught in my creative imagination. So I played in the flow state way more than an average player ever would have because I was disassociating from what I thought I could do. And disassociation is a very powerful tool that we can use. And that's one of the powerful mechanisms that makes alter egos work for people. So I say that. (laughs) Y'all. Back around, Heather. Yeah. Is that me being inauthentic? Is it? Is me showing up as Geronimo out on that field and playing way beyond what I thought I would be capable of as Todd? Is that me being inauthentic? 
Or is it pushing yourself to think outside of the box, be creative, expansive, or potential? Or me into a completely different level that was unaccessible through the concept of what Todd could do. But through the concept yep. of Geronimo, I can do it. Yeah, And it's been said by so many other people, whether it's clients or other individuals in, you know, public world where Sasha Fierce, Sasha, F Beyonce could see Sasha mm -hmm. Fierce going and doing it, but she mm -hmm. would have a hard time seeing Beyonce do it. Why? Because Beyonce was a gospel singing little girl right. from Houston, right. Texas, who was now right. put into a, a band of eight where there was singing pop lyrics that were sometimes provocative and now dancing a little more provocatively on stage. Well, her entire relationship with music before then was buttoned up Sunday dress, right? sitting at the front or standing at the front of the uh, church, singing gospel hymns, you know, and, and people would come from miles around to listen to this amazing voice. But Beyonce had a hard time seeing herself do the other thing. So she created Sasha Fierce to go do it so that she could pursue her creative endeavors. Mm -hmm. Now, is that being fake? No. Is it? What do y'all think? And by the way, that's someone else's judgment. The only judgment that matters is Beyonce's. That's good. Right? I mean, so that's everyone's good. sitting around on social media judging others for, for their actions. Rightfully, rightfully so maybe sometimes, but you don't know what someone's deeper motivations are. You don't know where they came from and all the different challenges and issues that they might have had. And they're clinging to an idea that helps to keep this little flame alive within. And, mm -hmm. you know, as someone who went through some pretty horrible experiences, the great gift that that experience gave me, because again, that experience can't only be bad because nature tells me that that experience can't only be bad. So then You're I my mind with that. that. <laughs> what could be good about that? And here's what's good about it is I call it capabilities. Capabilities spelled in the sense of cape, C-A-P-E dash abilities. Any phenomenal challenge that we've had in life, any challenge that we, that we pursue can give us cape abilities. My cape that that experience gave me was an extraordinary amount of compassion for the human experience and others. So not sitting back in judgment of other people as much, but it also helps to drive me to do the work that I do so that I can maybe help other people put on a cape to unpack some new abilities within them so they can see themselves differently. And if I do that enough times throughout the course of my life, then maybe I've left the world a better place. Yeah. I know we're right at the top of the hour. Can I see one more question? Do you have time for one more? Okay. A yeah. little bit of a doozy, but I'm glad you brought up the players who Ronnie Lott so forth that came up to you during that time. I actually had a question about board of directors mm -hmm. in Napoleon Hill's book, I think it's Thinking Grow Rich. He talks about confiding in a board of directors. And I just hooked onto that concept years ago. And I have, I don't know if I'm just a sucky Googler or what, but I have researched the hell trying to find more information about people who've used board of directors, XYZ. And you're one of the few people I think I can ask this question to who was like, what the hell are you talking about? But is that similar to, and as powerful as the alter ego? Because to me, when you went to Ronnie Lott and so forth, that was almost like your board of directors sure. there. Sure. And so for, for y'all who don't know what I'm talking about, Napoleon Hill, real quick, he had this practice where he would go into a room and he would have different leaders he admired, like Abraham Lincoln, XYZ, and he would go to them and they would actually take on identities and talk to him. And he would get all kinds of wisdom and information. And it was a really taboo thing in 1920 when he wrote it. I haven't really found much information about it since. Yeah. So that's one of the visualization 
practices that I teach people. Really? How to go about okay. doing that. Yeah, of course. The, the way to make it the most meaningful to you is if you selected three, five, seven mentors that you're bringing in that you can go in, I call it communing. You're going to go and commune with them and you're going to bring your challenges, your issues, your problems, your goals to them. And you're, you're going to get their perspective on it. Okay. It really only works if you know that other individual well. So Benjamin Franklin is one for me. I've read his biography 89, 90 times. Okay. So he okay. is one of my sources of inspiration that I use for my alter ego in, in business. Okay. Okay. Joseph Campbell is another one who wrote The Power of Power Myth. Of he invented yeah. the hero's journey and stuff. And I know all their content very well. I've seen tons of interviews. So that's important for me because now I can access creatively in my mind when I'm posing a question to Joseph Campbell about what he thinks about something that I could do. And then I can imagine my imagine him coaching me on that. That's keeping a, I think that is one way that we as human beings get to keep the the idea and the energy and the source of other people alive. Hmm. My, my father passed away last year, and right. I was just reading up on like grief and and things, and I great, found this really great quote that was unattributed at the time because I'd love to properly attribute where they said someone's really only dead when you stop speaking their name. Yeah. So I love the fact that I get to talk to my kids about my dad every single day. And so I think mm. about the same thing in the, in this tribe of many that I bring into my mind, how to go and do that. So the, the thing for you, like if you're someone always create environments in your mind when you're like, I talked about going into the movie theater. I love movie theaters. Mm-hmm. So like for me, that's a very easy place for me to place a room in my mind that I'm going to walk into and, and talk to other people or watch myself up on the, the big screen or something. Other people, it's a meadow, like, and it could be a place where you grew up. And, or it could be a room, it could be in the clouds. It could be, again, there's no, we don't put limitations on your creative imagination, but that board of directors becomes hyper useful in the way that you're saying it when you are using people that you know more intimately. Yeah. And so, you know, that's where with people today, they're, the pursuit is to read as many books as they possibly can. Whereas for me, I'm trying to consume as much as I can about my sources of inspiration so I can make the activity that's going on in my mind when I am imagining my conversations even that much more real and tangible and practical. So 100%, it's it's such a powerful tool because again, you can help to disassociate. You can get other people's perspectives. You're not just lost inside of your perspective. You're not lost inside of your story, which is one and of that's the goal. why alter egos work so well because of that. You're You're- you're disassociating from your own narrative about what you think you can and cannot do based on past experience, yes. based on what you think you are. And you're tapping into the source of inspiration of someone or something else. Yes. That pulls you towards the, you know, pursuits or actions, behaviors, emotions, feelings, thoughts that you would much rather exhibit. I wish this was just more normalized. I wish we talked about these tactics more because it feels almost, I feel almost embarrassed. Like I don't, I, I used the I, kind of a version of the board of directors. I was training for an Ironman and I didn't know how to swim, terrified of water. So I would go to the, the pool and I would just swim laps about drown, man, just like one lap. It was terrible. And I just pictured someone I really admire who's an incredible athlete sitting at the pool and they would talk to me in the morning while I was swimming because mm. I didn't have a coach and it freaking worked. I credit a lot to it, but I don't talk about that because it feels weird and woo and like, what the hell? Somebody was sitting at the edge of the pool. You know what I mean? But 
but this is what I people mean, use. This is what I mean, Heather, by to your point, and I and I appreciate the fact you say normalize it. This is my point about the stuff that I produce. I am coming at it from the field of play. I'm out there mm -hmm. in the field working with people and I'm coming back and I'm reporting to other people and saying, hey, this is what actually people who are We're achieving unnormalized results are doing. Yeah. They're not doing what everyone else is thinking that they're doing. Plus, they would never tell everyone else what they're actually thinking because it might sound like they're crazy to other people. Well, I'm okay with being crazy or being branded that way. And it's pretty hard to argue then with also the types of media that I've gotten because of this. Like I just came yeah. off of the Burt Kreischer podcast, who's one of the, he had the, you know, biggest movie on Netflix last year. He's a very popular comedian. I've gone on to the number one psychology podcast. This concept has taken me everywhere. The real estate industry mm -hmm. is absolutely loves this thing. Why? Because they're in sales. They're on the field every day taking rejection. Yeah. So they, they love the concept, but it was something that you had said, oh, I was just going to give you another tip. This Go ahead. Everyone. Okay. So from a mental game perspective, you talked about the, the person sitting on the edge of the pool, kind of coaching mm -hmm. you along the way. Mm -hmm. That's great. Now, when you're in competition, a useful thing that you can do is imagine that person swimming behind you and pushing you along the way. Two. Imagine you when you're getting to the point, cause the very, one of the last, you know, when you're, mm -hmm. when you're running, imagine when that point in time comes where you're really feeling the ache of it. Imagine the voice within or that alter ego or that coach, whatever saying to you, Hey, Heather, let me take over for a bit. And you imagine leaning back. This is something that we practice with marathoners, triathletes, et cetera, iron manners, where you almost lean back and you would actually have a training partner, put their hand on your back and you need to, cause you need to feel that. I want to practice that feeling. Now imagine leaning back in the middle of your race and feeling a hand come up behind you and pushing you along, whether it's a coach, whether it's God, I don't care who someone uses. It's a very common approach that we use with Olympians, really? with professional athletes, a hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. And the other side of it is you want to get really good at talking to yourself in the third person. Okay. Multiple studies have been done. One of my favorite human beings, Richard Wiseman, who's an author, all of his books are fantastic. He runs Quirkology out of the UK, does lots of different studies. Third person narrative is a very powerful way. Instead of saying, I can do it, say, Heather can do, can do it. Say, she can do it. Okay. Because again, what that's doing is it's kind of pulling you out of your body and talking about yourself like an object. She can do it. Look at her do it. Look at her go. Heather's I love this stuff. This is so Heather's cool. Heather's got some powerful legs. Yeah. So I say this because even if it's a tool that other therapists can use with mm -hmm. the people that they're interacting with is... Um, and I do it in my coaching where I'll typically try to objectify a client and in, in a positive sense. So when I say objectify, mm -hmm. I was like, okay, so, so if you just gave me a problem and say like, I'm, I'm interested, Heather, is that the best version of Heather asking me that question? Or is that the insecure or scared version of Heather asking me that question? And they're looking for some validation from me because you don't need my validation. You are completely whole as a human being right now. You don't need me. Damn. I'm just, I'm just someone who's walking along, who loves being a cheerleader for you and encourager and maybe putting up some guardrails so that you can bounce off and you don't fall down the cliff. Okay. That's all I'm here for. You're completely whole as you are. Cause I'm always want to be modeling back to someone that all the capabilities that they need are right within them. So third and that person, sounds third person. pretty authentic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
freaking lucky, man. So lucky that I got to spend some time with you, meet you in real life, tell you thank you for your work, your book. I'm embarrassed. I took the joke of the reel was that Shay borrowed it. I think later on after she borrowed it, I thought, I think I wrote down all my alter ego stuff in that book. So now she <laughs> knows all my inner world. But Todd, for our staple last question and get you out of here, where would you like people to connect with you online? And will you ever write a book on board of directors? Because Heather's requesting one. Yeah, because Heather's requesting it. That's great. Yeah, that, that's just another roster of books that I'm supposed to I write know. now. But people can find me on the interwebs. ToddHerman.me is my home base on the internet. I write a weekly newsletter called A Peak Life. Not the peak life, because it's not about my life. It's about, you know, frameworks and concepts and strategies that actually work, you know, born from the kind of field of play, so to speak. And, and you're putting out reels too. What's that? You got your Instagram game, got the reels going. I was watching yeah. them. I don't have as good a game as you do, but the, the team repurposes. But yes, I'm active across social media as Todd underscore Herman is typically good my, stuff. my username as well. And yeah, I'd love to connect to people. So if you've got questions about this, feel free to DM me. And read the freaking book. It's in the show notes. Read it. Alter Ego Effect. It's um, wild. I'm not done until I get a little yellow highlighter colored book on everybody's bookshelf around the world. So, Amen. Hallelujah. Last question. We'll get you out of here. What is something you are questioning right now? You do not have the answer to it. It could be, why does Charlotte Airport suck so bad? Just left Charlotte Airport. Sorry, Charlotte. Mm. It could be the meaning of life. I don't care. What is something that's been on your heart lately nagging you that you do not know the answer to? I would say that the the thing that's most prescient for me is, I mean, I think about my kids all the time and striking that right balance of pushing, pulling, encouraging them and just being the right version of dad to each of them because all of them interprets the world in a different way. So I'm trying to shape shift for each of them and trying to find that right square peg, square hole, round peg, round hole for each mm -hmm. of my three kids. And it's fun for me because it's it's the greatest personal development program that you can have. I used to think that Preach. business was, but man, from an emotional standpoint, <laughs> Being I a parent agree. is easily the most challenging. So that's that, that's the most prescient one for me is how to be the right version for each of my kids. And the fact that you're even questioning that shows that you're doing a pretty freaking awesome job. God, thank you. Thanks for your time today. This was awesome. Yeah, appreciate it.